This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. While the coalition government has had a busy start to its term, much of what it has done has been the easy stuff. To talk about that, let's bring in NBR's political editor, Brent Edwards. So, Brent, what's the easy stuff been? Well, much, much of what the government's done, and it has started with momentum, there's no doubt about that, but it's largely been about stopping things that the previous Labour government was doing and repealing legislation that the previous Labour government had passed. You know, for instance, the legislation around fair pay agreements, the clean car discount, um, the reform of the Resource Management Act, um, putting a stop to the reform of vocational training to Pukinga. I mean, so it's just a range of things where they've come in, stop work, that's gone, repeal it. Um, and that is relatively easy to do, as we've seen. They've been able to do that in a matter of a few weeks. OK, so they've got some runs on the board for their 100-day plan, but what's going to happen next year? Yeah, well, that's, that's going to be the tough stuff. I mean, let, let's take, for instance, the uh, Natural and Built Environment um, Act and the Spatial Planning Act, which were the two pieces of legislation that Labor put in place to reform the Resource Management Act, they've, they've been repealed. So they're gone. And so we've gone back to um, going back to the RMA, but with a fast-track provision to try and get um, consenting done quicker. But now the, the government will have to look at what legislation will it replace the RMA with? Because both the National Act and New Zealand First believe the RMA was hopeless, mm. um, but I think is... So, that work now will go on into 2024 and the year after in terms of them having to then write a, a new piece of legislation that will presumably deal with all of the problems that people recognise with the RMA, but um, presumably um, also not include the, the problems that, that the government thought were um, part of the, the Labor's reform. So there'll be a lot of work there. I mean, the work on vocational education, all the polytechnics, I mean, the whole thing at the moment is kind of falling apart. Um, no one seems to be there. There's going to be a lot of work to get the a polytech system back on its feet. I mean, it was failing and losing money before the reforms, continuing. So, so again, lots of work there. I mean, just... Clean car discount gone and what have you, but then the government is going to have to get on with a bit of momentum with its agenda on climate change if it's going to show that it is actually committed to meeting the um, Paris Agreement targets, etc., which are kind of built into the um, Zero Carbon Act and, and the like. So, you know, it, it will have to speed up, um, as it said, one of its big things is renewable energy projects. So it's going to have to speed up the consenting and building of those, which links back to the RMA reform. So, you know, just, yeah, a lot, a lot of work, and it's going to be pretty complex and a lot more difficult than just putting in a piece of legislation which says this bill repeals the such and such act. Yeah, what might it be able to showcase in Budget 24 then? Well, in Budget 24, I guess, you know, what we'll expect to showcase, and that's been um, signalled at this week in the terms of the mini-budget, will, mm. will, be, will be tax cuts. Um, for and that's in terms of the adjustments to tax thresholds. Interestingly enough, before then, there will already start the process from April of bringing back interest deductibility for landlords. So, um, but then, you know, I think there's been question questions around that in the sense that the government will have to clearly show the finance minister Nicola Willis just exactly where the money is to to pay for all of that. Mm. Given they're saying that they've been left this massive mess 
by the Labor government. But they can give tax, tax cuts. But they can give tax mm. cuts. So, I mean, they'll, they'll have to really put up the numbers to show how that's affordable, uh, given, as they say, they, they say the government books have been left in a, in a real mess for them. So, yeah, so there are a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. Do you think that language is overly strong? I think the language that they used, um, for instance, at different times they've talked about economic vandalism, okay. which actually means that the previous government deliberately went around out of its way to kind of vandalise, destroy the, the New Zealand economy. That's pretty strong language. I mean, you can have the argument around economic mismanagement mm. and financial mismanagement, and political parties will always argue to toss on that. But, um, but the point is, Sometimes, if it's as bad as they say it is, yeah, how can they then afford other things? So mismanagement, like okay, yeah. But well, well, mismanagement, you know, that's a debatable point. I mean, and the political parties will debate whether there was ma- economic mismanagement or not. Sure. And one of the things you, you never get, I guess, from the current government now when they talk about the economic mismanagement is there's no reflection or around the fact that through that period there was a big pandemic which had an impact on the economy and on the government's books. So the things announced so far this year, they can hand on heart say they're fulfilling their coalition commitments, Oh yeah, that, I their 100-day plan? Yeah, they're, they're delivering on their plan, mm. no, no doubt about that. But as I say, a lot of the things that they had in the 100-day plan were you know, were relatively easy to do because, as I say, you, you, you instruct a department to stop work on that, uh, you put in legislation to repeal existing legislation you know, the hard work starts when you actually then have to replace that with legislation of your own and put in place your own programs. Have they given a vision about how the economy will play out now? Well, the, the forecasts are, I mean, that the economy is um, doing worse than perhaps we expected even in the September update. So, um, you know, from the government's perspective, that's one of the things they're saying that, you know, they're arguing the previous government has left them with a, you know, a poorly performing economy and the like. But, um, you know, Labor's argument is that, OK, it's still 7% larger than it was before COVID. And in comparative terms with a lot of the other economies, when you look at the government's books, they're actually in better shape than a lot of other, which is correct. So, you know, they're going to argue to toss around that for months to come. Mm. Brent, thanks for insights this year. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, John. See you in the new year. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. Beehive banter in the final sitting week of the year. Speaking of sitting, he spends most of the year sitting on his chair, typing his fingers to the old bone. Yeah, old Brent Edwards. And I want to start, Brent, with that mini, 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 mini budget. Did we actually learn anything apart from tax cuts still coming, landlords will be better off, despite everything in pretty dire straits, surplus further out, not even a really a surplus, more like an accounting error, or, as she put it, wafer thin. Yeah, look, I mean, I think in the end it was perhaps a bit oversold, although I think in the last few days uh, Finance Minister Nicola Willis had been referring it to a mini, mini, mini budget. But, you know, when we got into the lock-up... I as think they you always, missed a mini, yeah. yeah. As they always have this lock-up for the release of the half-year update, um, you know, we did get a very, very thin folder which was titled Mini Budget 2023. <laughs> How long was the lockup? Because yeah. normally they're about three hours. How long uh, the, was it? The, this is two hours for these. Um, and But really it was... No, normally, too, you would expect to get the budget policy statement with the half-year update, but we're not going to get the budget policy statement till March. 
um, which will then generally lay out the government's spending track without going into detail. So in this case, the mini-budget really just reaffirmed we're making progress on tax cuts, on interest deductibility for landlords, which is going to happen sooner. Uh, but no real detail, but it was obviously, with the half-year update and the mini-budget, an opportunity for this government to have a whack at the old government and say, well, they've been left you know, a hell of a fiscal mess and now they're, all, now they're cleaning it up. Well, and what does the old government say about it all? Well, the old government says that, no, not a fiscal mess, that this is the sort of thing that happens anyway, that, you know, the Well, then let me ask you that, because they talk about all these, you know, cliffs where they only funded it to here, and, you know, I saw a lot of the interviews going on there. Where was that additional money going to come from if, let's just say, Labor had retained power? Yeah. How were they going to finance the continuation of those programs? I think they were going to reach into your pocket. Yes. But look, there are programs that do, um, you know, where that is the case. I mean, I... But I think the point that Nicola Willis has said that there was some spending, for instance, of Farm Act that's kind of time-limited per yeah. se. It wasn't put out to. But but that's not... I think one of the good things they will, that will come out of it, because, I mean, it has been an issue around transparency and, you know, for governments of all persuasions, because they follow the rules as they are. If, she, if Nicola Willis does what she says she's going to do, which is make some changes to the Public Finance Act, she's going to require the half-year update to be even more transparent about laying out... You know, well, here, these are the time-limited spending programs. This is how much they cost. They end now, and then people will have a good idea. Well, if you want them to continue, presumably they'll have to spend the same amount again. So what will that mean for the fiscal outlook? Um, otherwise, they stop. Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means either more borrowing, more cuts, or more tax. Yeah, but governments do make choices all the time around that sort of stuff. Yeah, but where so, was Labor going to get all that funding from? Well... I mean, it's criticised them for doing all these cuts. And Grant Robertson asked a lot of the departments to do cuts. Well, he was already getting but cuts But where was made. he going to find that extra money? Well, he presumably, the government, that previous government would have expected that with cuts, but they presumably would have, looking to the longer term, expected that the tax take would that's have kept exactly on increasing. That's exactly right. That's what, that's what I wanted you to say. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right, right. Well, you could have said it. No, I mean, I it was, didn't, no yeah. it's something I would say. It's not okay. something that you would well, say. Well, no, it is say. I mean, because clearly tax governments always expect no. their tax take to increase. You, you've never said that Labor were, were going to hit us with more taxes. Well, no. Until now. No, 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 not, not necessarily that they were going to hit you no, with more taxes. They would have, no, they would have expected the no. tax take to increase simply because people would have been earning more money, oh, making more money. You just spoiled the, it. The thing that National is going to work at changing by increasing income tax thresholds. Labor's, you know, the previous yes. government made quite a bit of extra money because people got it pushed didn't. into higher income tax brackets right. and started paying tax more creep. tax. Tax creep. That's right. Anyway, moving but on. But like you, creep. Yeah. <laughs> you had to, didn't you? Yeah. The, it is the end of the year. Well, let's just see later on how much of a creep I am. The Prime Minister in Australia for another quick visit, stating we wanted to deliver new energy New enthusiasm and new direction. Does that mean? Well, I mean, look, most new prime ministers, I mean, it's it's a, a ritual, really, that new prime ministers will shoot across the Tasman as soon as they can to have a meeting with whoever is the Australian prime minister. And they will normally say we're great, not just great friends, we're family, etc. And we're going to give new impetus to the... Um, but look, you know... Putting aside, I suppose, some scepticism about the language, it is important that... What does a new uh, direction mean? Well, I don't know. 
I mean, we'll wait and see. But I mean, but putting aside the scepticism about the language grant, it is important that New Zealand continues to maintain a good relationship with Australia, with the Australian government, irrespective of whichever parties are in government on either side of the Tasman. So, you know, I think the fact that, you know, that Christopher Luxon got across there quickly, as previous Prime Ministers did, was a good thing. And he flew on a on a <laughs> yeah, well, on an Air Force plane. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't going to be going, but they fixed it. And then it was. And then yes. it was. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd hop on one of those planes. Anyway, he also mentioned that he's prepared to discuss his joining a part of AUKUS. Yeah, well, that's, and that's been but, around. But, but the, Labour were the pillar, the pillar 2 yeah. um, thing, which is not supposedly related to the nuclear stuff. That is, and, but Labour had been talking about that, had been considering it. Everyone's waiting for more advice. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens when it comes to the crunch. There's a lot of critics of yep. AUKUS, yep. Not, not just here, but also within Australia. I think there are a lot within Australia that don't see it as There's a great a lot deal. There's that are critical yeah, of it. That's right. So, so it's something that I think any government will have to approach with great care because, you know, there are broader implications about, on the one hand, New Zealand and this new government and the Foreign Minister, Winston Peters, has said this, wants to strengthen ties with friends like the United States and an ally in Australia, our only ally. But also it, it, it doesn't want to, you know, basically um, rankle I mean, China. It no. still wants to maintain a good relationship with China. So that's whole balancing act. Well, the House was again under urgency as the government goes to those cost-cutting moves we mentioned and repealing of legislation, repeal the RMA replacement bill. Um, what's that going to be replaced with? I know uh, Chris Bishop said it might take three years, but but in the meantime, longer to apply for consents than it takes to build a house. Yeah, look, well, we're back to the old RMA, but they are going to, you know, they're going to have the fast-track provisions that have been kind of around since COVID-19. Yeah. So that will go, but then, yeah, they've got to come up with a legislation that then replaces the RMA, so it's almost back to the beginning again. Um, you know, a bit of an irony, but as David Seymour says, he thinks the irony was that um, the Labor government replaced the RMA with a piece of legislation that was even worse than the RMA. That's the, that's this government's view, so yeah. therefore that's why they've dumped it. Right, and let's get Wellington moving and gone, which is good, because Brent, after all the millions and millions they spent, the only thing to show for them is that is that road crossing by the airport so it's a lovely, hardly lo- ever used. It's a lovely set of traffic lights. It's right? hardly ever used. I think it was two million. That's yeah. it. So it's gone. Well, the traffic lights are still there, actually. The lights are still there and the crossing's still there. Okay. All right. That's all you've got to say. Leaked documents this week also showing us the perilous state of Te Pukinga. Now, that's the entity in charge of politics. That by all account, all seem on the verge of financial or financially collapsing. Now, the government says they need more international students and seem to accept it'll take more money. But as one news outlet reported, the existing bosses have resigned and none of them individually have CEOs or CFOs or any senior structure at all. Now, the minister knows uh, exactly what these are like because she worked in the industry, didn't she? Yeah, well, she was the chief executive down in South yeah. and Invercargill. Though that was a slightly yeah. different one to many of the others, because I think that was, as I understood, it was got funded, almost subsidised by the local licensing right. authority, yeah. which put it on perhaps a different financial footing to it. And remember, before the new national body was set up, a large number of these individual politics were already in financial difficulty. That was one of the arguments and justifications from the previous government for reforming the whole vocational yeah. education sector. Yeah, so now we're back to the thing where 
they're going to have to hire, after laying off, yeah. have to hire a whole lot of people. And I was just looking at what, you know, Nicola Willis said about, you know, the, the surplus. There's about $140, $150 million in it. Well, that'll be wiped out just here alone. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's, that, that this is an example of a number of the um, things the government has done where it scrapped things, and it, you know, yeah. it said it was going to scrap them, but it's gone ahead and scrapped them. But that's the easy thing now, you know, just as we were talking about the, the RMA is, what do you replace it with? And you're right, it's rudderless. So there presumably are going to be some fairly big problems, certainly in the immediate future, in terms of oh. ensuring that these things run properly. God, next year is going to be interesting. What did Adrian Orr have to say in his reporting to the Finance and Expenditure Committee, bearing in mind, of course, that it just made changes? Yeah, well, not a lot of difference, I think, to what he'd said um, when they released the monetary policy statement. I think probably an interesting situation where suddenly the man that had been finance minister, he would have met with his finance minister a number of times over the past six years, was, you know, sitting on the opposition side in the select committee, sort of asking him questions. So, um, you know, that's... But also, I think, quite interesting that all of a sudden the National Party and the government now who had been so critical of Agent Orr when they were sitting on the opposition desk, yeah, yeah. seemed to be quite matey with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, a lot of repealing at the end of this year. What are we going to get in the new year? Well, I think the new year is going to be really interesting because, yeah, they've done a lot of repealing, a lot of scrapping of things, a lot of stopping of things. So in the new year, you know, a real interest in saying, OK, what are you going to replace it with? So to start to see some real substance. And, and that well, that actually will be the harder work because it's... Well, they've got I about think, three weeks to figure it out now, yeah, haven't they? Well, they're not going to do it all in three weeks. But, I mean, it's easy to put up repeal bills much more difficult to put up legislation that's actually going to do yeah, things. And we'll find out just how so, difficult it is. All right. Well, I'm such a creep, uh, Brent, that I wanted to give you these chocolates, you see. I'm such a creep, and they're called Walkers. That's very good. So there you go. That's from this creep. There Thank you. you go. And, uh, and that is it uh, from us uh, this year, except for our final programme, looking at the winners and the losers of the year. So hopefully we'll see you for that. Where's my present? Oh, yeah, um, I knew I forgot something. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. Former ACT MP Damien Smith lasted just one parliamentary term as an NMP before being lured back to the business world. In the third and last interview with politicians who have moved back into business, he joins me now. Well, why, why, after three, just three years as an MP, did you decide to, to go back into business? Yeah, well, business has been uh, my first love, and uh, I really enjoyed my time at Wellington um, in politics. Um, and it's really time to produce some income for the country as opposed to spending money. So um, I thought this was um, a good time uh, with the change of government to to move on to help in New Zealand Inc. Um, and so really it was a decision that I made, um, you know, close to the uh, end of the term and um, everyone seemed happy with it. And now I'm out sort of talking to clients and customers about their issues and their problems. And I think one of the, issue, one of the things I found is that uh, businesses do find it difficult to interact with Wellington uh, and the bureaucracy there. So maybe that's something I can help them with as so well. 
So, so just tell me what what you you're consulting. You're a consultancy. What what's what's your business? Yeah, it's an advisory business, and uh, it works in various sectors: exports, um, capital, uh, and also uh, banking and finance. And it's it's a case of you know I believe New Zealand's totally undercapitalized, so we need to get the regulatory framework in place to allow people to come here and invest and uh, help us to grow niche businesses that are high value oriented, create good jobs and uh, you know make us make us really competitive in Asia because I think we're falling behind a bit. You'll you'll be happy then with the I think the line and the coalition agreement with ACT around only, um, I think, with ministerial interference, only being based on national sort of security interests? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, we're a country so over-regulated, the economy seems to deteriorate. And I think in the last cycle uh, with the Labour government, it really was a case of uh, people felt stifled, entrepreneurialism had sort of decreased. And uh, it was a difficult period with um, with COVID and with... Um, the economy generally. So I think there's a freshness out there where, you know, less regulation, more markets, more innovation is is going to be good for New Zealand. You made the remark earlier about a business uh, perhaps not understanding Wellington or politics and maybe the other Mm. way around too. Mm. From your three years as an MP, as a politician, does Mm. that inform your work now? Have Have you learned... Um, lessons that that are helpful from politics as you as you're now back in the business world. Yes, um, you know I've um, since I sat in the finance and expenditure committee, I got to see the inner workings of the government and the programs and the efficiency or waste that it creates. And uh, I believe pol- politics and politicians should just get out of the way of business. And we need to be taking a 30-year view now of, of investment in this country and eradicating the view that we're the shaky isles, where if you put money into, example, oil and gas or mining or um, an infrastructure business, that it mightn't be there in three years' time before because of government interference. So I think we need a complete mindset change now where regulation is sensible. Um, not saying boring, but really it's pro-business. But, but how do you help business understand the impact of government of politics on on their their business. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, not everybody needs to get to see a minister. I think um, as long as you understand the regulation and laws to, to operate freely, um, I think most of the businesses I deal with um, they have to actually understand laws in other countries and how they export and how they actually uh, deal with trade barriers and customs and. So, you know, Wellington's in their mind, but it's not front of mind. And in terms of that, looking at laws of other countries, I, what you've seen from Wellington, does that help you um, assess the impact of, of other countries' regulations? Yeah, it does. It, it, it does. And, you know, you, business has to operate in that environment. And I think um, everybody who operates at a board or CEO level realises that that's part of... Uh, there's what analysis and uh, but I think I think what people are looking for in New Zealand is just more freedom to, to operate and attract uh, partners and investors to this country um, we need to produce um, businesses it's a great place to start a business and incubate a business and take it offshore and I think we need to be doing more of that 
Going back to your three years in Parliament, mm. what did you enjoy about being an MP? Well, I enjoyed taking on, um, you know, um, the socialists and um, taking on guys like Duncan Webb about their Commerce Commission strategies. And, um, you know, the, the lawmaking is an interesting um, proposition because there's only so much you can do. Uh, it's up to the bureaucracy then to execute that. But I think, you know, there needs to be a fundamental review of, of Commerce Commission, MB, NZTE, just to really make sure that it's fit for the future. And, um, you know, we need to encourage politicians now to um, to really put settings in place that uh, helps the economy and helps New Zealand, you know, star in Asia. You know, we, we really need to lift our game. Were there things you didn't enjoy? Yeah, I mean, there were, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough environment in terms of, like, the the uh, majority that the Labour government had from the, the last election. And uh, it was frustrating that they didn't use that mandate to to really change the country for the better. And I think now it's going to be very interesting to watch this three-way coalition do its business. And, uh, you know, I think everybody out there wants to support it. And, you know, politics is ideology. Um, I, I'm, I feel more comfortable with business and, uh, and just that, that operating environment. I mean, as an MP, there's a level of public scrutiny that you probably don't get in the business world. I mean, have you noticed that change switching back that you're perhaps not so much in the public eye, you don't have to worry that much? Um, it, yeah, there, there's, I mean, politicians are front of mind with the media and I think I'd like to see more business programmes on TV than polit- political programmes on TV. Uh, to be honest, I think uh, there's some great entrepreneurs and, and businessmen and women who deserve a platform to explain why they did the what so young people can learn from them. Um, so to me, it just seems to be that TV is dominated by politics and um, it's, it's a case for how I think business should be given its uh, time in the sun. Well, I guess it's probably politics and sport, I guess, where, or particularly sport, where we put people up on pedestals. You, you think yeah. there needs to be a lot more um, focus on, on business, business uh, people and what they're doing? Absolutely. I mean, they produce everything works with income and they produce the income for the country. And uh, they're the ones that take the risk at, you know, making payroll, paying their GST, paying their taxes. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that the government's really efficient in terms of how it, how it treats business now and uh, makes, it, makes it a priority. So three years from now, I guess, at the end of this first term, how mm. do you think, the, what should the government, this government be judged on? Well, I think, you know, I'd like to see certainly more sensible regulation probably a sense of national KPIs for the economy that um, people can strive towards, um, like Singapore, um, and really a case of more openness in terms of dealing with other countries and other, other business people who want to come and invest here. It's, it's extremely difficult and quite complicated, and um, I think we need to have a look at that. Well, given that ACT is in government, and you know, mm. you've referenced to regulation, David Seymour's mm. Minister for Regulation, mm. but... Do you, do you have any regrets that you're not still there now playing a part as part of the government? No, no regrets. Um, they're a great team and uh, it's it's a case of um, just timing for me, really. And I think the um, you know they're all very passionate about making that difference and change. Um, I think it was we weren't going in the right direction and I'm sure um, Winston and David and Chris will take it the right way.
Damien Smith, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Previously the Chair of Sea Lord, Shane Jones is now the Minister for Oceans and Fisheries. He has already highlighted aquaculture as a short-term focus. We spoke with him to find out what else the industry can expect while he is at the helm. It's Minita Tenakwe. We're here to talk about fisheries. You were once the Chair of Sea Lord, now you're the Minister of Fisheries. How do you plan to manage any perceived conflicts and do you care? Think about conflicts when you're a politician. You need to just be open about them. It's inevitable that people who have an antagonistic view to commercial fisheries will imagine the worst. But look, over the years, there's been a host of agricultural ministers who have been farmers, so I don't envisage there being too many problems. Recognising the many benefits of having abundant fish stocks, do you plan to restore and manage the biomass of our quota species? Yeah, well, obviously there's no future for the industry if the fish stocks are not robust. Um, I will require the officials to give me some advice to test whether or not the statutory criteria upon which um, TACC allocations are made, is it um, still fit for purpose? Uh, There is an ongoing challenge for some species, such as tarakihi, Obviously, orange ruffy is always a, a matter of um, debate. But look, I, I remain a supporter of the quota system, but no system is per, uh, permanent or perfect. And um, all systems designed to cope with the vagaries of managing natural resources have to be um, adapted. Uh, I'm sure over the next three years I'll get some briefings from the officials but I'll also keep in regular contact with industry and the other stakeholders in the fishing sector, i.e. the recreationalists, and people uh, from NGOs concerned that um, ecosystems such as the Kinner explosion uh, up in not only the Taitokero, other sorts of places. But these are often matters that go beyond the statutory writ of the fisheries minister. You're also the Minister for Regional Development, so I'm wondering how you plan on balancing the industry transformation plans proposal for a smaller fleet of larger vessels um, landing at a centralised location with supporting smaller local fishers. Yeah, so our government um, has in its 100-day plan uh, the cessation of industry transformation plans. to the extent that that plan represents a pathway forward, we need to ensure that it also includes, to a greater extent, growing fish. Because let's face it, our wild fish stocks are under constant pressure and a robust quota management system will enable us to ensure that the pressure isn't overwhelming. But if you're looking at where wealth can come from, then it's going to come from our ability to farm the sea. And for those reasons, our party, New Zealand First, during the campaign, has brought into the coalition government um, uh, an urgency to pass a fast-track piece of legislation that will enable marine farming and aquaculture investments 
to be approved from a statutory perspective in a hell of a lot more timely fashion than what has happened to Ngaitahu with um, their project marooned, stranded, down there in Rakiura in Stewart Island. So you're right, uh, fisheries, both growing fish and catching wild fish, will remain a key feature of the um, regional economy, and I most certainly do not want to see uh, the mosquito fleet put out of existence. You mentioned the Rakiura, Stewart Island. I heard you recently on Watia talking about Samford's Stewart Island aquaculture venture being a, a key focus of the new provincial investment fund. Why is that? Well, there's a great deal of pressure to shrink the commercial footprint of dairy in New Zealand. Um, we've had a host of regulatory changes under the last government that's going to shrink uh, the amount of land that's suitable for farming. Uh, I mean, that's now a matter of debate because that regime's gone. But I think it's fair to say that society in general is wanting to see more positive environmental outcomes from farming in general. So I then ask myself, where are the jobs? Where, are the wealth? where is the wealth? Uh, where are the earnings, foreign exchange earnings, going to come from? We're surrounded by the ocean. And in my view, we can do a hell of a lot more to emulate the success of Norway. Uh, the salmon that's currently grown, it could sell itself a hundred times over. It's just that um, our statutory approval process is so constipated. Investors either give up or they take that long to get a project up and running. They find it hard to sustain the interest and the commitment from investors. Hapu uh, upset at the state of their fisheries. Uh, there's been many Rahui in Section 186A applications around the country. What will you do to meet hapu aspirations for more abundant and productive fisheries? I think that what has worked well are the Mataitai regulations. By that I mean the uh, customary permits. I mean, you do get people from time to time who abuse it. They should be obviously penalised or educated. But in terms of highly localised fisheries, which is what you're talking about, um, there's there's undoubtedly more that can be done to ensure that the commercial guys don't compromise highly localised fisheries. But there's also a lot of apocryphal stories in this regard. And here we have a trade-off. I mean, they have to earn putia from buckaroos from their quota and if they're not dedicating the proceeds from that quota to something that makes sense to hapu, then naturally the local um, hapu communities, whether it's, for example, the Hedekin or Harbour, uh, I'm not entirely sure anyone's bothering to fish um, commercially there, but those sorts of areas, there's obviously scope. Uh, where I come from, Monganui Harbour, there's scope for highly localised management. How are you going to work internationally to ensure sustainable fishing practices and protect our shared marine resources? Well, there are um, ongoing meetings in terms of the pelagic species on the high seas, and that's attracted uh, a great deal of attention from the Pew Foundation. Uh, Greenpeace remain involved in that regard. And then we work closely with our island cousins, um, that's the 
uh, the PNA. PNA is a system of entitlement shared between the island nations, and those entitlements give a right to international harvesters to take pelagic species of fish out of the coastal waters of the island nation states. So our commitment and our engagement in that regard, in an oceanic sense, will not diminish and will continue to maintain high quality contact with the Foreign Fishing Agency, which is based in Honiara. Um, but also uh, I want us to ensure that we don't uh, unnecessarily handicap New Zealanders who historically have been fishing in the Pacific and uh, given that the Pacific fisheries is dominated now by the Asian nations, historically it was the American nations and the American, sorry, it was the American fleet and that American fleet was um, largely driven by the fishing prowess of the Croatians who had come from Croatia and settled on the west coast of the United States of America. And recently the US government increased the amount of money it was prepared to pay through what's known as the US Tuna Treaty to the island nation states. So New Zealand is integrally involved in that. But I don't want anyone thinking that uh, New Zealand um, ought to withdraw totally from commercial activity in the Pacific. That is wrong. What immediate changes or implementations can we expect in the short term under your ministry? Well, obviously, we're going to um, take account of what's been the impact of the rollout of the cameras. Um, we want to support uh, my officials who have been, I guess, banging their heads against a wall of indifference in terms of expanding the size of the aquaculture sector in New Zealand. And the third thing is ensuring that whatever um, challenges there are in relation to compliance, that um, we maintain some vigilance there, but at the same time ensure that where the state does um, end up in litigation, that we've got the best possible information at our disposal to defend the decisions uh, made by the officials under the Fisheries Act. Will you be implementing any other strategies to diversify the economic aspects of fishing industry beyond those traditional methods or segments? Yeah, that's a damn good question. I mean, obviously the industry transformation plan um, is based on the notion that there has to be a more efficient way to harvest fish. There has to be an efficient way to fund and run vessels. But, you know, fisheries is also the lifeblood of small communities. And um, I'll be looking at how uh, those small communities can continue to be participating in the industry so that they're not overwhelmed by um, agendas to prevent um, small businesses from operating and handing everything over to multi-million dollar trawlers, of which obviously I understand the importance of having been the chair of Sea Lords, but I also know that in a lot of our regional small provincial communities, attachment to localised fisheries is a key part of their birthright. Any other comments around fisheries or what we can expect in the future? 
Um, no, aquaculture is going to be a key outcome. Aquaculture has been frustrated by a constipated uh, resource management process. So we're looking forward to working with the uh, Minister of Resource Management uh, Reform, uh, Minister Bishop, to come up with a fast-track process. And that fast-track process has to be driven by an acceptance that this is a new frontier where we can create more jobs attract more investment, generate exports, and increase our foreign exchange earnings. And that is what this sector can offer to New Zealand as we manage our way forward and over time reduce the amount of debt we've been settled with from the COVID experience. Are we sacrificing the well-being of our finfish and wild catch species to, in order to prioritise aquaculture? Um, there'll always be a debate, for example, King Salmon have spent $10 million, extraordinary amount of money, and they're still years away from creating a fish farm. So there's always trade-offs. Um, it's important that um, we don't end up having running battles with the commercial fishing industry as we expand into aquaculture. But at the end of the day, there are always trade-offs, and it's the overarching resilience of the nation-state of New Zealand that trumps everything. And if we don't keep our um, nation heading towards being fiscally in the black, we'll never, ever be green. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening. <laughs>